Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly the bit in between. With your host, Barry Kirby. And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Now, don't be put off, but this week, uh, for this episode, I'm going to be talking about uh, standards, human factor standards, or really the standards that we should be looking at, but don't let that put you off. Um, hopefully this is going to be a, an informative session where you'll be able to um, clear up some of the mystifying bits around it. But before we get into that, uh, again, just like, I'd like to say thank you for, uh, for the feedback from people. I've had... Um, get a number of emails and comments um, sent back to me and I really appreciate the um, the encouragement and also the uh, the suggestions on how to make things better and, and I'm acting on that as much as we can. So some of the future topics that are going to be coming up just to give you advance warning um, over the next few weeks we hope to be talking about decision making and particularly decision making under pressure uh continuing professional development uh how how do we do that and how is that facilitated for us with also a view on uh, mentoring and really what training we should be doing ourselves and then the third topic that we've we know that's coming up is looking at human factors under the radar uh that's really looking at how people are doing doing human factors without realizing it or maybe doing human factors and calling it something else and seeing examples of how that is done but if you've got a suggestion for something you'd like to uh, like to see, or sorry, hear discussed or talked about, or if you'd like to come and talk about it yourself, then please do get in touch, and we're more than welcome to uh, to try and make it happen. Don't be put off by the fact if you've never done this type of work before, um, if you've done never done this type of interview, then we'll make it as simple as we possibly can and as pain free. And if you're somebody who is looking to record some CPD, then it's obviously something that you can record so it could be topical but anyway let's get back to standards the reason why I'm looking at this is really in the past I would say two months I've been asked quite a few times in a bunch of different areas about how you apply standards where you find them and just how do you go about it uh, I guess one particular conversation um, really highlight the fact that there are, there are loads of them out there and how do you delve into what's important so, really, over the next ten fifteen minutes, re just want to take a a light stab into what standards are about. So, fundamentally, a standard is it's just an agreed way of working. It's a it's an agreed way of doing or delivering something. It could be about making your product, managing a process, or or delivering a service. It can cover a huge range of activities undertaken by the organization and really is used by the customer or the client to really understand what it is uh, you're going to do and the language that you're doing to, doing to deliver it. So in the human factors domain, the standards really detail how the human should be considered in the development of products, processes, services and um, I guess the delivery of materials. And really they they're not just something that somebody's written down and and thrown up as a, as a hurdle. Generally, most standards are, um, I guess, taken from the the BSR, BSI website is a distilled wisdom of people with expertise in their subject matter. Um, 
really that's uh, they're all produced by committee one way or another and committees have representation from across industry and then they they pull together that best, best practice and trying to try to uh, depict it in such a way that is is broadly applicable the the people who get on board um, are people who are, are manufacturers of, of products. They could be the people who are in, around selling types of things, uh, the, the clients, the customers, uh, trade organisations, users, and, and regulators uh, themselves. They everyone has a vested interest in making sure that standards are are right and and easily understand un, understandable and applicable. I guess fundamentally, their knowledge. There's a lot of understanding in there that um, that people can really get on board and basically learn from I guess largely the people's mistakes certainly when we're talking about safety critical uh, industries um, such as defense oil and gas nuclear that type of thing uh, a lot of standards have come about because things have gone wrong and therefore the resulting actions are, are the lessons identified and it's the lessons learned because of that so there's a lot of bits there that is that is really well worth applying but fundamentally they're there to encourage what I see as, as four things um, quality to make sure that you know what you what it is you're going to get standardization so even across industries we can all be talking the same language and understand what it is there the what the minimum expectations are for doing something so if you're doing something to a standard then you know uh, the person who's receiving it should know what the minimum standard is going to get what they're going to get and to allow a commonality of language so that in across industries uh, the same things the the same tasks are not called four or five different things uh, we, we we understand what it is that we're talk, talking about and cross and we can cross pollinate and certainly in, in the human factors domain i think that is absolutely essential because really the overall processes are largely the same uh, we just apply them in different industries this is um i guess what i've talked about um the application of ux or the difference between ux and hf Sometimes it can be suggested that UX would start from a top down and not really necessarily get bogged down with using standards. They're they're more free flowing in their in the design process. And then human factors it actually uses standards and things as a bedrock for what they're doing and almost have, have that bottom up approach. Um, and perhaps that is a difference. It's something that, that I think we need to investigate a lot more. But it's but certainly from a human factors perspective, and it's possibly one of the big differentiators between um, HF and UX is that HF should be and do use the sort of standards as a as a bedrock uh, of where, where, to, where of where to start from. So when we're looking at standards, there are loads. Quite frankly, there are stacks of them that can be applied. And I think the the term can be applied is is absolutely essential because you don't have to uh, apply standards uh, unless you create the, the the rod for your own back to do so. So there's overarching standards that apply not really just to HF, but we've all got to be aware of. So ISO nine thousand and one is the quality standard, and really that is a um, a do that you, you're writing down. These are what my processes are and process business process across the board um, uh, adhere to I, nine, uh, ISO 9001 and you the organizations get evaluated every sort of three years to say that they're gathering the evidence and it's it's a self-sucking lollipop to a certain extent that you say that you, you're going to do things down to 9001 or 9001 is mandating is saying that uh, these are my processes 
and you just keep evidence that you're following your own processes. But you can then, everybody knows that if you've got processes there, then they achieve a minimum standard. And the use of ISO 9001 across industry is now becoming um, more, more strongly mandated. Even my company, K-Sharp, as a micro SME, we have 9001 accreditation because it gets us uh, a lot more respect within the, within the defense domain. Similarly, you've got uh, ISO 14001, which is similar, but it's about your uh, environmental credentials. And then there's other ones around say, cyber essentials. That's a minimum standard of your uh, IT infrastructure and how it connects to the internet and how you deal with um, uh, in, in sort of, I guess, cyber issues in the main. And they're just sort of three examples of overarching standards that are not specifically HF, but can actually have significant consequence. So we would have our own uh, human factors processes within a large organization. And the ISO 9001 would ac would instigate that you have to review them on a regular basis. So whilst not a direct HF standard, it's something you have to adhere to. And then we can have specific standards uh, for ourselves. So if you're try trying to achieve chartered status on your own personal career development, then that's just a standard. People know that if you say that you're a chartered um, engineer or a chartered ergonomist or whatever, then actually if you come in with that uh, qualification, they know that you've got a certain amount of experience and they, that you have a, a broad understanding uh, of the competencies that are required to get to that status. In many disciplines, that uh, you cannot take on senior positions without being chartered. So they know that they've got that, that companies have had that external review of, of your competence. Uh, to say that you're you're fit to practice, but also as uh, in in the human factors world, if you're engaged with a consultancy, they can apply to be a reg registered consultancy and to have that consult registered consultancy status with the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human, Fa and human Factors. And what that means is that your uh, that your competence as a as a consultancy has met a threshold, and so then when other people can uh, look for recommendations, then they can see that if you've got the the consultancy badge, the original consultancy badge, that you've met an expectation and, and, a, and a certain standard. So fundamentally that shows that there's really sort of high level standards that we can use, but they're not necessarily, I think, the standards that people have been talking to me about recently. It's more about the standards that are there to, um, there to help us. So it's fundamentally, we, we've got to recognize that these standards are, they're not meant to be there as something to uh, beat you around the head with, and they're not a stick. They are supposed to help. They are supposed to be a guide, and actually if they're not guiding you in what you're doing, they're probably a waste of time for the job that you're doing. They should be something that is there to uh, to facilitate and, and push you forward. I guess from a, from a practitioner point of view, there is, I guess, a few ones I would point at, and what should be your, your the first place of first place of looking. So, in the grand scheme of things, um, ISO, um, the International um, Organization for Standards, ISO, I, and I did say that right, but it's a um, it's a an organization that is on its own a um, an independent body. It's non-governmental because it's an interna international organization. It's got uh, it's the overall organization with um, that has membership of national standards bodies and I'll talk I'll talk about the British standard body in a second but is that coming together and basically everything kind of links up to that, that that ISO and we'll hear around um, different ISO standards
Um, as I said, I've just talked about ISO 9001. Um, that is a, um, a standard that is embe embodied as part of this. From a British, British perspective, we're looking at the BSI, so British Standards Institute, and and they they're essentially the the UK the the British version of, or the British element of the of ISO, and is is very specific around uh, British business. Then you can look at sector specific. Um, so there is standards around straight up um, the the maybe the the defence industry or the um, the nuclear industry, for example, they all have their own um, particular set of standards. Your professional bodies, so we've already said like the CIHF, but the, you've also got the IEA, um, International Ergonomics Association. They they have um, certain elements around them that, that that they set standards for what they're doing. And from a human factors perspective, we've also got to work out where we cross-pollinate. So there are other standards out there that have a human factors element to them and they will probably be just largely applicable to to the job you're doing but it wouldn't necessarily be something you would find out until somebody pointed you in the right direction so a good example if you're into doing safety critical work so something that's quite high on my radar at the moment is around uh, safety critical design and there's a standard out there called IEC 61508 most standards have numbers after them and you 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 slowly get into the idea of using the shorthand the, the number shorthand um to refer to them but fundamentally th this is looking at safety ratings um in safety critical systems now this this IEC is the International Electrotechnical Commission and that is mainly based on looking at um, how networks, how electrical components and distributed components put themselves together um, or get put together um, but there is an, an a human factors or more specifically a human computer interface aspect to that so whilst it's not something that would normally be on my big list it is something that if you're doing safety work or in um, or di uh, di distributed work in that that perspective, it's something that we still have to adhere to in the, in the work that we're doing. So, if I talk a little bit more about some of them in general, I think it's it's worth just going through exactly how how they're sort of put together and where you can get some of that information from. So, if we talk about ISO first, so ISO has lots and lots and lots of standards that they publish for ergonomics. Um, you're looking at um, a technical committee, um, which for the geeks among you is is ISO Technical Committee uh, 159, that really look around um, uh, the uh, the standards around ergonomics. Now they've published 134 standards that uh, that apply to ergonomics, and that's a lot. But they don't all apply to everything that you're doing. So they split themselves up into four committees, four, I guess four subcommittees, and there is also four working groups looking at other things, but we'll, we'll cover that at a different time. So the, the, main, so the main committee, as I said, splits itself into four, and the first one is looks around general ergonomic principles, and they produce um, sort of seven separate standards in, in that uh, committee, and they keep them updated. The main one I guess I've used in there is uh, 26800, which is really the general approach to ergonomics. And it gives you that overall sort of standard, the way you can push, uh, where you can push different uh, ideas about what you're doing, but it gives you a gen general guide. The 
the next committee, and I, I would say second, but actually it's not. It's 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 number three, so subcommittee three. Um, don't know what happened to subcommittee two. Um, talks about anthropometry and biomechanics. Twenty-four standards as part of that, and again the same approach. If you're doing work around anthropometrics and biomechanics, there's stuff in there to uh, to to keep you happy. Uh, the one I've I guess used most is from subcommittee four which is ergonomics of human system in interaction now they produce a whopping 70 different standards um if you're doing a lot of work around hci which is i guess what i i do 9241 will be quite familiar and again a lot of this is dipping into best practice on how to do everything all the way from um what sort, what sort of technologies you should be using right to what you should be displaying on the screen um, in different scenarios and different environments. Um, the last one is ergonomics of the physical environment. So that's looking around um, actual f uh, workplaces and things like that. So as I said, there's 134 of them and they're all available on the ISO website, which is ISO.org. Now this is where it gets a bit interesting because if you you can't just really just go and download them for example they all cost money because obviously ISO is an organization that needs to be self-funding um, and so you know, unless you can find a way through them either your company might already have uh, uh, might have membership um, each one of these standards has a, has a price associated for you to download them and that's the same largely across the board the British standards version of this or the BSI um, really there's a lot of cross-pollination because obviously as, as I said right at the beginning ISO um, is a group organization of everybody's standards bringing it together but you can also have the the British standard ver version so if you're looking for ergonomics there um, on their website uh, which is bsigroup.com they have they have us nicely placed under um, the health and safety sector and really the big one that encompasses us all is 26800 and which is so BSEN ISO 26800 and again they have the the relevant ISO under there so which is that 9241 and you can see it's got the same number and it, it directs you up the and that's mainly because there's a lot of repetition between the two so if you've got if you're applicable to one you should largely be applicable to the other the British Standard does split itself up into um, eight different areas. So, and some of it has content, some of it doesn't. So, again, it covers itself into physical environment, healthcare and medical, accessibility, occupational health, nuclear ergonomics, and then there's the last three. I think are, are interesting because they've actually got a standard now around smart cities, which obviously. Uh, if you've listened before, you know I go on about smart smart cities and smart communities quite a lot. So that's quite an interesting development. They also have one around influence in the boardroom, which is really looking at human value management and how um, management really takes into account ergonomics and, and as part of an earned value stream. And then finally, there is some free advice there around ergonomics with children, which is worth dipping into. Again, if you want to go and find their piece, that's on uh, the British Standard website, uh, which is bsigroup.com. And then obviously for me, the uh, the n biggest standards I use will be the military standards, um, given that most of uh, my work is military. And we are governed 
by really uh, what they call a joint service publication, which is a, or a JSP. Um, for human factors, it's 912. And really that mandates the use of human factors or human factors integration as part of the procurement of um, of systems on a, on a military perspective. So the JSP itself is split up into two elements. Part one is directive, which is in essence the bit that says that anybody who's procuring um, any military equipment has to take into account human factors and human factors integration. And then it also has a part two, which is all about guidance. Uh, and really the JSP is about process. It's about how you should be doing um, human factors and human factors integration. Underpinning all of that, they have uh, defense standards, and the one that is applicable to us is um, what's now called 00251. For those of you who've been in this game for a while, we'll recognize that it, it did start off years ago as um, uh, 0025, and then changed to 250, and now it's a 251, and I've got no doubt that it will update itself at some point in the future. So DEFSAN 00251 comes in four parts, and really it looks around uh, giving you a good description around what is actually HFI, what are the domains and how should the contracting process engage with um, with HF process and, and user, user requirements. Part 1 talks about um, the early life cycle process and what it is you need to have in place because one of the big things that people are learning about human factors is we tend to apply it, or it can be applied a lot, as, as a firefighting ac activity. So when things have gone wrong, then you get human factors practitioners in to help try and sort it out. Actually, if we get it, do it right up front, then the uh, we can we can save a lot of that pain later on, and you s end up saving a lot more money. So there's a, a large drive on getting early human factors in place. Then we can be looking. Then part two is about looking at the HFI process requirements for any sort of solution provider. So what what should you have in place as a as a solution provider to engage with HFI? And part three is around technical requirements. And what's really good about the part three aspect is actually gives you a lot of candidate requirements in place uh, to to allow you to uh, look at what you should uh, should have in place, and you can then tailor them to whatever project you're doing. But obviously, um, there are other realms out there. So the nuclear um, realm use uh, requirements from the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency. Um, I guess that the specific guide that is relevant that I've used is the Human Factors Engineering and the Design of Nuclear Power Plants, or commonly known as SSG 51. The oil and gas domain have, have similar principles. The healthcare domains are getting there. Um, there, are, there are more elements around that. So there's a big drive around say, where safety critical and um, there's risk, risk to human life is getting more and more down that, um, down that process route and down a standards route. But they're not everywhere. And maybe in some domains, um, simple things like maybe um, you could argue that things like maybe website design do doesn't have that many standards, but actually there are bits out there around how you deal with disability, um, how you, uh, the w w whatever um, platform you're working with, if you're looking at sort of like Microsoft standards or Apple design standards and things like that. So they are everywhere. And fundamentally, you've got to say, well, how do I do it? Um, 
you've sort of got to sit down really and say, right, what am I doing? What is applicable and what is most useful? If you're not entirely sure, ask. There are uh, a few places which I would go as almost a starting point. So the Chart Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors website has a section on standards and that's a really good um, place to go and actually maybe start that journey. Um, ask other practitioners in your field if you're in the human factors domain or you're trying to work with human factors people. We tend to be a fairly friendly bunch um, on the whole and quite willing to share this sort of information. If you're doing this from a safety perspective, the HSC, so um, Health and Safety Executive website, is, is, is useful. So they've got a human factors section um, specifically um, what I used in the past is the inspectors hf toolkit um if you have a look at that it sort of gives you areas to that you should be considering and looking at and whilst that is largely around inspectors it gives you an idea about what sort of things people will be looking for so that is well worth a look so when you're looking at standards and you you're presented with this wealth of um uh standards that, that are there then actually have a really good understanding about what it is you're going to do what is it that's going to help guide what it is that you're developing if it's a website then you look you want to be looking at website guides you probably don't care uh that much about physical ergonomics if you're designing a website for example though there is probably some slight bits there but you can spend more or less time where you think it's more relevant get good understanding about what is relevant in your sector like i said if you're not involved in in military stuff all the stuff i've talked about military doesn't apply just you don't even need to look at it um However, if you're branching into that for the first time, then that's a start. That's the point to start asking questions. If you use standards and you apply them properly, and uh, say you sign up to standards, so again, if you're uh, a consultancy, you become a registered consultancy. They can be a differentiator uh, between you and other pe people who are competing in your sector. So not only are they useful in their own right, your knowledge and understanding of of how they work is also. Um, really good from from a business development perspective or from an individual perspective so if you are going for a new job or a new role and you actually understand how in the military domain 00251 is applied if you are in the nuclear sector um do you know how that that's applied that can really show that you've uh, you've elevated your learning if you're doing a job that has um standards involved normally they'll be set out as requirements make sure that you do understand not only what, sta what standard you're being signed up to, but how you're going to show adherence to that standard. So basically, how are you going to verify and validate that you've met that met the standards? In long-term projects, it's also recognised that you will you may not be up, uh, signed up to the current standard. So again, if you've got an older project, say in the military domain, from my experience, that you might actually be signed up to zero zero two fifty rather than 00251 and that has you could understand what what the consequences of that are so i know for a fact that there are certain things in what that were in 00250 that actually got took out in 251 and yet i'm um have worked on projects that are current but have used the old standard and you've got to work out a with your client and b with your commercial team about whether you, do you stick with that old standard and uh work to that standard or do you upgrade your um, contract, your requirement to the new standard? Uh, and really a lot of that has got to be discussed about what advantage and why would you do that? And again, fundamentally, I can't really stress it enough that it's not only just you 
understanding what the standards are and saying that you'll do them, but how are you going to prove that? And all that really boils down to is oh, just discuss, discuss, discuss all the time. Talk with your client about applying standards. Particularly, they might not understand the standards that you're working to. They might be a first-time client in your domain. So let them uh, know what, what standards that there are and what standards you would adhere to and why that's a good thing. Make sure you get the relevant items in in the contract. And so, again, that will largely come under, uh, it will be a requirement. So, and, and again, it's not just saying that you'll adhere to something, but it's proving how you'll adhere to it. They need not be completely set in stone. There might be some things that you're doing that is particularly innovative and you might need exemptions. And exemptions are fine as long as you've agreed them with your client, but you've got to make sure you document them. Make sure you put them down. And so then going back to this idea about your quality processes, you should understand that, yes, you've adhered to this, you, you signed up to this process, but you're not going to include this bit um, or it, it, it isn't applicable for whatever reason but as long as you and your client agree it. And then make sure that all you've all the bits that you've got, all the standards that you're going to play with at that time are actually fit for purpose. Take a real holistic approach. Is there some bits that you've got in there that are actually for this job just not applicable? Or are you um, overgilding the lily or pick another metaphor? Make sure that the overall set, You, for me there's nothing worse than just coming in with a boiler set of standards and said we will definitely adhere to all of these without just having a quick five minute check of saying actually are these all applicable because uh, some of them won't be um, and there might be something you're missing for a particular job that you hadn't thought of before spending time right at the outset working out what standard set you're going to apply will just save you so much time effort and pain really on, later on down the project because there'd be nothing worse than you getting to your verification validation part of the project and somebody saying oh why haven't you adhered to this standard and you might not have done it and you've or you might have inadvertently done it and not realized it but if you don't have the plan in place on how you're going to evidence that then you're going to end up wasting money so let's get it right up front so hopefully that was a really quick canter through standards why we use them, why we apply them, some places where you can go and look at them. So again, the um, International Standards Organization, ISO, uh, the British Standards Organization, as well as your um, local professional body are all places you can go and look at and get, get bits of guidance about where to go from. Talk with each other, um, talk to other professionals in the field about not only the standards they apply, but how they've applied them, because as a lot of this is... Um, in the application, not just the understanding of what it means. I hope you found that useful, and if you have, please do rate and comment on this podcast through your through your listening medium of choice. The we've now broadened out where uh, where people can subscribe to this podcast. So you uh, you might be listening through Apple through Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. We're now on Spotify, TuneIn, um, Stitcher. Uh, we, we're also on so whichever one of them uh, you're listening through and actually if you could leave me a message and let me know how you're listening to this that would be extremely useful but if you rate it and comment on it through your medium then actually that helps other people find other people find it as well now there isn't that many human factors podcasts out there so uh, let's try and do what we can to um, raise awareness of, of our community but as for now thank you very much for your time and we shall see you in a couple of weeks. 
Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.